you're listening to the Philip Robertson Property Podcast. Hi, this is Phil Robertson and welcome to episode five of our podcast. And I'm here today with Terry Ryder. Terry, welcome back. Hello, Phil. It's always a pleasure to be here and even more so, it's always a pleasure to be talking about my favourite subject, which is residential real estate investment. Love it. Well, we're actually going to dive a little bit uh, deeper into favourite topics and certainly high, if not at highest on my list, is regional property investing. And that is a lovely little segue, Terry, into today's episode, which is why regional property investing makes sense. And I know that you have talked about your win-win strategy. So tell our listeners, what is your win-win-win strategy, please, Terry? Yeah, well, I I do think that uh, property investors underrate regional areas. It should be way more on the radar screens of property investors than it is because it does provide that win-win-win situation. The first win is you're buying at much more affordable prices than if you're buying in the big cities. The second win is you get uh, much better rental yields than you would get in any of the major cities. And the third win is that if you select your location correctly, you're going to be getting very, very good capital growth as well. In fact, um, as we're going to discuss as we get more into this broadcast, regional areas of Australia have been the best performers on capital growth in the last two or three years by far. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, That probably shocks a lot of people because I think we're, uh, in fact, we talked last week about uh, the misinformation of the mainstream media and we just don't hear about the regionals and we're hoping with today we're going to start to enlighten people that you can make good money by making good choices by doing your research and research as you know I don't need to convince you of that how important that is and in fact Terry would it be fair to say in the last five years and this is probably going to shock a lot of people but in Sydney I know that you had shared with me that in Newcastle, Orange and Wollongong, they outperformed Sydney from a capital growth perspective over the last five years? Yes, and I was referring to some recent research published by a very, very good real estate uh, researcher, Simon Presley, from Propertyology. And his figures for the past five years say that on average, uh, Sydney prices have grown 26% in the last five years. Um, but that number has been greatly exceeded by the price growth achieved over the same time frame in locations in the regions of New South Wales like Port Macquarie, Newcastle, Orange, Wollongong, uh, Griffith, uh, Coffs Harbour, Ballina, Byron Bay. There's a very long list and they, yep. they've all achieved greater uh, capital growth in that five-year period than Sydney has. And I think one of the primary reasons for that is that Big city markets like Sydney tend to be quite volatile. They, they do have occasionally um, a major boom, but that's usually followed by quite a severe correction. And we saw that recently from, say, 2013 to 2017, Sydney had a big boom. And then 2018, the first half of 2019, prices came back um, quite substantially. And so yep. the sum total of that is um, muted growth over the five-year period, whereas the good regional areas just tend to keep on chugging along very steadily and not have yep. those big peaks and troughs. Yeah, slow and steady wins the race. Absolutely. Uh, and in Victoria, it's similar sort of numbers. Uh, yeah, Geelong, well, Ballarat did better than Melbourne over the last five years as a couple of examples. Absolutely. Um, and regional Victoria has been a wonderful uh, performer on capital growth in the last two or three years and five years. 
Uh, it's yep. just, um, and we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail shortly, but certainly those locations you mentioned have outperformed. Melbourne's done very well, but uh, some of the regional areas of Victoria, like Ballarat and Geelong, and some of the smaller ones that don't normally make the research lists have also outperformed Melbourne. Same story, good, yep. steady growth um, without the peaks and troughs that you get in the big city markets. Yep. And for those that uh, are not familiar with your research, Terry, uh, with hotspotting.com.au, you review prices in every town and suburb in Australia quarterly. Uh, and can you tell the uh, listeners about your quarterly price predictor index? Because the top three regions for price performance over the last three months, sorry, the last 12 months rather, uh, have all been regional areas. Well, that's right. We Every quarter we look at sales volumes. Uh, we get the raw data and we analyse it for every town and suburb in Australia. And we also look at what's happening with prices uh, in those areas as well. And so we, what we're looking for is we divide Australia into jurisdictions. The capital city is a jurisdiction, regional Victoria is a jurisdiction, regional South Australia is another one. And we look at how many locations have actually uh, achieved price growth in the last 12 months. And as a percentage of the total, um, the, the number one areas for, for price growth in the last 12 months have been uh, firstly uh, regional Tasmania, the secondly regional Victoria and thirdly regional South Australia and that last one would surprise a lot of people because most investors would never even consider South Australia for, for property investment um, and not even know, probably couldn't even name four or five uh, regional uh, towns or cities in regional South Australia, but it's been a very, very good performer on price growth in the last 12 months. Well, there you go. So uh, that that's it's pretty enlightening for people. And that's the beauty of what you've done, Terry, with hotspotting is you really are educating people and we're taking away that misinformation that you've got the... Uh, uh, the major mainstream media focusing, as you've said in the past, they're very Sydney and Melbourne-centric. Yes. And they really don't pay attention to the regions. It'd be fair to say that, uh, and in fact you covered the point off quite nicely just before, that regional centres just tend to have less price volatility. Yeah, uh, they do. And they, um, they also have strong growth drivers in their own right. Not everyone, of course. We're not talking about Russia and by anywhere in regional Australia. You've got to be very selective, as you do with any uh, residential property investment. But if you select the right locations, you're going to be at very good capital growth. And this is wonderful news for investors because probably um, the one thing that holds them back is that myth about you're not getting growth that's as strong in the regional areas that they can certainly understand, yes, you buy more affordably and yes, you get better rental yields, but what about the capital growth? Once you can get them over that hump and show them, well, actually, you're getting capital growth that's as good or better than the major cities, then there are no more excuses left no, no more things to hold people back. You can go out there and invest with confidence in good regional areas knowing that you're going to be getting that win-win-win situation. Yeah, definitely. And you don't really have to go and spend a ridiculous amount of money and have a very, very large mortgage. I know you coined the phrase, in fact, I think it was last October, I watched uh, one of your YouTube uh, excerpts where you were referred to think small for big growth. So that all uh, supports exactly what you've just said. Yeah, we were thinking at that time that... Um, as the two biggest cities, Sydney and Melbourne, had had their growth phase and actually prices were falling at that time in those big cities, that the best places for people to focus on were some of the smaller areas, some of the smaller capital cities, and in particular, some of the regional centres. 
So think small for big growth, and that's what uh, we were suggesting that people do, and, and the figures have borne that out. Um, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about is, you know, what property prices have done in the last, say, two or three years, and I've just done a bit of a check um, on some of the, the growth figures we've seen in, say, the last three years in regional areas in Victoria, just, just as an example, and yep. uh, there's, there's many locations in regional Victoria that have had growth of 40%, 50%, uh, 55% in three years, phenomenal price growth in just three years. Um, if you take that, uh, extend that over a 10-year period, if that was maintained, and it probably wouldn't be, but um, that that's extraordinary growth. So you've got um, many of the suburbs of uh, Geelong outside of Melbourne, um, suburbs of uh, cities like Ballarat, but going further out to some of the smaller towns, um, some of the hill change towns outside of Melbourne, Macedon is one that's grown 50% in the last three years. Broadford, which is a, another sort of hill change town uh, north of Melbourne, 54%. North Wanthaggie, 50%. Officer, um, a town just outside the urban uh, fringe of Melbourne, 52%. And so it goes on. It's a very long list. It's extraordinary growth. And um, those who got over that hump about believing that um, you only get the best growth in the capital cities and are bought in these places would be very, very happy investors right now. They would be happy campers, no doubt about that. I like uh, another report, and I know you love your reports, Terry, as do I, CoreLogic's pain and gain report. I think that's also really revealing and supports just everything you've just been saying. Do you want to share with us a little bit about what the CoreLogic pain and gain report is all about and how it's measured? Yeah, every quarter they, they look at um, all the sales that have occurred in that quarter and then they refer back to the previous sale price for each property to see whether the person who's just sold that property in the current quarter actually sold for more than they paid whenever they bought. So they, compare, they were the buyer. Yep. That's right, when they were the buyer. And um, in recent times, the, the results for many of Australia's regional areas have been very, very positive. Um, regional Tasmania, almost 100%, and Hobart as well, um, in, in recent manifestations of that pain and gain report to almost 100% of people who have sold in recent quarters in Hobart and regional Tasmania um, have sold at a profit. They've sold for more than they paid when they bought, and it's similar for regional Victoria. But also to take that that point even further, Terry, didn't a greater percentage of those sold in the regional areas that sold at a profit were greater than those that sold uh, in the capital cities at a profit? Yes, that's, that's right. And, you know, you, you, we've had um, capital cities like Sydney and Melbourne, if people were selling, say, in the first half of um, last year, they may have been selling at a loss because the market had dropped. Um, yep. If they were selling in places like Perth and Darwin as capital cities, um, there's been no price growth of any substance in those cities for five or six years. So anyone selling in recent times in those cities is almost certainly going to be selling at a loss unless they bought 20 years ago. Um, and so regional areas haven't had, by and large, haven't had those, those slumps that we've seen in some of the capital cities. So it's just further evidence that this uh, notion that you've got to buy in the big cities to get the best growth is just one of the great misconceptions in uh, real estate investment. We might even call it a furphy, Terry. Absolute furphy, and it's one that um, will cause financial pain to those that believe it. 
Yeah, I agree. And I go back to the theme of today's uh, podcast, why regional property investing makes sense. And it goes back to affordability, as you said, as one of your wins. I mean, I use the term uh, the holy grail of property investing. And you can buy a property for 150 to say $250,000, uh, with typically if you wanted to buy that same sort of a property in a capital city, you'd be looking north of $400,000. So I think one of the best things about regional property investing and why it makes sense is it means it's more accessible to more people. So more Aussies can get their foot on the investment ladder sooner. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about. Um, you know, in our pre- one of our previous broadcasts, we talked about the investors who... One, one definition of that is, is people who want to continue living in their preferred place, like might be in inner city Melbourne, uh, can't afford to buy there, but they can afford to buy as an investor and get their foot on the property ladder by going out into the regional areas. They might go out into the, the Latrobe Valley, for example, where there is a number of towns where median prices are um, below 200000 and uh, you can buy very affordably there, get great rental yields, and that's a, an economy that's growing and creating jobs and has got a, got a big future. And uh, so people are profitably investing in these places who can't afford to buy in the big cities. Yeah, definitely. I think there's another thing, and the psychological benefits for people to actually feel like they're moving forward in their lives. I mean, a lot of people find it very frustrating because they, can't, they haven't got enough of a deposit to buy a property in, in, say, a capital city. But that's the beautiful thing about the lower price points in the regionals, that you do get the positive uh, effect of actually a sense of achievement. I'm a now an investor. I'm in the market. I'm yeah. in the game. And when you're buying something, you know, perhaps 200000 in a regional area, uh, you can get together your your uh, 5 or 10% deposit um, relatively easily if you're uh, yep. perhaps a single person um, with, with a job. I mean, I've, I've got a daughter who's full-time university working part-time. She saved $13,000 last year. Um, so somebody who's in a full-time job, if you can't get together a deposit fairly quickly to buy a $200,000 investment property, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good point. I think another thing is if you look at buying in the city, you're probably not going to get much for under $400,000. You probably need to be spending anywhere from five hundred to, say, $600,000. Yeah. It's, it's really only in the cheaper suburbs of a place like Adelaide that you can buy in the 200,000s in a capital yeah. city in Australia. There's maybe some of the outskirts of Brisbane as well, but uh, mostly, uh, as you say, you're going to be spending, uh, to get a good location in a capital city in Melbourne now, um, you're going to be spending at least five or 600,000, Sydney even more so. Um, so to, to buy something that's good, that's got some you know, credentials for growth, at a price that you can afford, say in the 200,000s, you need to be thinking regional. And as we've already made the point, uh, there's so many benefits of doing that, including if you choose your location well, great capital growth. Well, rather than having to buy one, let's say in the in the city, for five or six hundred thousand dollars, just following on from that point that you just uh, articulated, Terry, then you could potentially diversify and buy a couple. Well, that's right, and I quite often do uh, strategy sessions and, and communicate in other ways with um, prospective investors. And um, there was one recently where they had the capacity to perhaps buy something for 900000 they were thinking of buying one property for 900000 in a capital city because they had their heads full of those myths and misconceptions. And I raised the, the potential prospect of, instead of doing that, buying three properties in regional areas 
for say 300,000. Um, and if you select well, um, you're going to be getting all those advantages we talked about with the win-win-win situation. But you're getting diversity. You're getting uh, geographical diversity, which is so important, not having all your eggs in one big basket. Because if that market drops for whatever reason, you're in trouble. But if you spread your investments across, um, you know, might have a regional uh, city in Victoria, one in New South Wales, one in Queensland, uh, you've got... Um, that diversity, which I think is essential in a property portfolio. And you're also then uh, spreading your land tax uh, uh, issues as well. Another very important point, yes. Uh, one of the things I love about regional is that you don't need to borrow as much and therefore that translates into less stress, particularly if uh, people are concerned about the stability of their employment with what's going on at the moment. Uh, usually what I tend to find with, when even when we're borrowing, say, 90%, uh, I used an example in a previous episode, Terry, for borrowing 90%, let's say, on a purchase price of $260,000, inclusive of all your costs, it's usually going to be still a cash-positive result. So whereas if you buy a much more expensive property in a capital city, you're usually going to have to be tipping some money in. There's going to be a shortfall. Yeah. Well, that's right, and um, even if you do borrow, um, you know, to, to cover your costs, and you're borrowing, um, some in some cases, more than 100% of a property. Um, I've been in that situation with recent purchases, which have been in regional areas, but one year of good growth, um, you're back into um, in a positive situation in terms of equity. And I've had that experience uh, in a number of occasions in recent years. And uh, yeah because um, well-selected locations in regional areas are delivering good growth. And uh, just, just to add to that, I think um, you can make the argument that in this, these times of COVID-19, um, the biggest impacts are actually in the big cities and the markets that are least impacted uh, directly from the virus, but also from the economic aspects of uh, the impacts of the virus. So regional areas and many regional areas are just chugging along as normal, relatively unaffected, still producing growth and uh, well positioned to come out of this, this phase um, as growth centres uh, for people who bought property there. Well, you mentioned in a previous episode Albury Wodonga is a beautiful example yeah. of how well poised because of its infrastructure. Do you want to perhaps you could remind us about that point? You know, it was firstly, you know, very affordable, great rental yields, opportunities to buy properties where you can build a second dwelling because of the size of the land or subdivide. But the big thing for me was that the, the biggest employment sectors in Albury, Wodonga are, are all employment sectors where they're more likely to be actually hiring than firing. Um, yep. Supermarkets and food stores, hospitals and medical services, the, uh, the Defence Force and aged care, they're the four biggest sectors for employment in Albury, Wodonga. So they're very well positioned. To, to ride out this phase and come out the other side looking strong. And they're, the agents at the coalface there are reporting that they're, they're, um, they're as busy as ever uh, with inquiries from both home buyers and investors because of all that. Yeah, and I think other areas, I, mean, I know we've touched on Shepparton was one example of, uh, where there's food. I mean, as in those sort of economies where there's a high demand for food and agriculture seem to be doing really, really no, nicely. Yeah. They're, they're very steady markets, as you said. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that um, a, a regional area that's got a combination of being very strong in agriculture, also viticulture, you know, there's wineries in the area because that's yep. a sector that's, you know, bottle stores have been doing great business in this period. And as we get back into wining and dining, I think Australians are really going to flock to that opportunity. So 
that those are two strong sectors to be in, um, but also maybe a little bit of the resources sector, which is another industry sector that's been going well and will go well as we go forward. So something like Orange um, is, is a prime example. Mudgee, Griffith and New South Wales, those, those three places stand out. Um, but there are many other examples around Australia, the, the Hunter Valley in New, New South Wales as well, where yep. um, you've got those very strong and those, those three important sectors. Yep, yep. Uh, well, I reckon, Terry, it might just be an opportunity to actually pick some particular areas. I know you just started to uh, touch that on that and I just thought, well, why don't we just take this a little bit further because one of the key parts of the focus of uh, Philip Robertson property is to look at affordability. And I thought, why don't we then, seeing I've got you here today, why don't we look at some of the top regional areas that we believe, or you believe in, more importantly, because you're the man with all the research, that have got prospects for growth uh, yeah. over the... the the, let's say the next six to 12 months. And I might just uh, drop a little hint, uh, one that I was actually visited uh, last week. And in fact, funny enough that when I visited it, I don't know if anybody happened to see it on the news, it probably was hard not to, but I was driving back, uh, I did my week in real estate wrap from uh, Bendigo. And as it was just after 6pm and I was driving back to Melbourne and I happened to see that uh, flash of light that which we've now been told is Russian space junk come straight across my in front of my windscreen. I thought it was just quite an incredible, uh, it was almost like a poltergeist type moment, but uh, I'm trying to think of what that film was, the close encounters of the, the third kind. You, you it was thought, incredible. You thought the invasion had begun. <laughs> yeah, I thought. That's right. They thought, <laughs> that's thought, exactly they right. They thought now is the time to strike the... the the earthlings are weak because of the coronavirus, but... Um, That's right. They're on their knees. But, uh, it was, that was quite incredible seeing but that. But you were visiting like, Bendigo, which is... I um, was. Yeah. I was. One of our, was up there. our reports is Chippies with Prospects Regional Edition. Exactly. And Bendigo features prominently. And that also in our national top ten regional hotspots. Um, I rate it very highly. I know you do too. Um, and for very, very sound reasons. You know, it's got that strong economy that we always look for. It's a growth city. Um, it's got diversity in its economy. It's well connected to its capital city. Um, it's got so many strands to um, the economy and different areas creating jobs. Uh, it's affordable, great rental yields. There's opportunity to buy property where you can um, subdivide or or build a second dwelling. So it sort of ticks all the boxes really. And it's been showing capital growth as well. So you sort of have to wonder what does a location need to have that Bendigo doesn't have uh, as a place to buy. And I think it ticks pretty much all the boxes. Well, what do you got? Houses typically below 400,000. Many of the suburbs' median prices are in the 300s. You've got yields right 5 to 5.5% and low vacancy rates. Many of your postcodes in and around Bendigo are below 1%. That's a very important factor. I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, we, we've come into a, a period where because some people have lost their jobs and um, young people have gone back home to live with their parents, but more so because people who had Airbnb properties, um, that's not working because of the restrictions on um, travel and tourism. So they're putting them into the rental pool and so the number of uh, vacant properties has risen. So in a city, Sydney, any city Mount, in a city, Melbourne, suddenly they've got 10, 12, 15% vacancy rates. But regional areas like this, where vacancies were half a percent or 1% or 1.5%, um, they can absorb 
that much less of a factor in those areas anyway, but whatever increase in vacancies they have can be easily absorbed and still have a very acceptable vacancy rate. So we're not going to be seeing rentals falling in those areas because in a place like Bendigo, their vacancy rate is still going to be well below 2%. Yeah, yeah, and, and they've really one of the things I love about Bendigo is it is quite diverse. You've got strong retail, uh, you've got an industrial base, you've got tourism, good medical services, agriculture, forestry, mining. And one point that many people probably aren't aware of is that Bendigo is one of only three licensed stock exchanges in Australia, the Bendigo Stock Exchange. So uh, it certainly is an opportunity for small to medium-sized businesses to list on the uh, the ASX. And, and it also has uh, the headquarters of one of Australia's biggest banks, you know, one of the biggest ones outside of the top four, the Bendigo and Adelaide Bank. Came Correct. out Bendigo and is still there. Um, it's got yep. some very big employers like Thales, which makes um, vehicles and other things for the military. Um, they get billion-dollar contracts to do what they do. Huge employer. Um, so yep. there's, there's some substantial activity going on in, in Bendigo. Um, it's, um, I think it would surprise people to perhaps, you know, read our report on Bendigo and, and be enlightened, but, but to visit there and just see what it has to offer. It's recently opened a $700 million new hospital. Now, when the state government spends that amount of money in a regional centre, you know that it's substantial and important. Definitely. I mean, even from an education perspective, Bendigo Regional Institute of TAFE has got about 11,000 students. You've got La Trobe Uni up there with about 5,000 students. So education is extremely strong. I think uh, Bendigo is, yeah, it's, it augurs very, very well. Yeah. I might just take you north, uh, up back up to your state, Terry, and Mackay. I mean, Mackay was yeah. on the nose for a long time. Yeah. That's and, an interesting one. And, and it's, it's such a timely one to mention because... You know, one of the things we've been getting in media is um, firstly all the speculation that prices are going to crash and they haven't. Um, but one thing that they they can point to is that rents have fallen in some locations and that, that's true in some of the bigger cities because vacancies have increased. So we're seeing evidence of reducing rents in Sydney and Melbourne. But in central Queensland locations like Mackay, um, rents are actually rising and uh, that's also true of Rockhampton and Gladstone and the Sundays area. And one of the reasons for that is the resources sector in central Queensland is really pumping and they're hiring people. And most of those people, they, they don't want to live in the mining town. They want to live in a, in a lifestyle location um, on the coast. And Mackay is a great example. It's got all the services they want. Um, it's a substantial city, a very nice place to live, um, close to some the most attractive areas in, in Australia. And so rental demand is rising, vacancies are very, very low and continue to be low and, and rents are actually increasing. So uh, that's, that's contrary to the general theme in media about rents falling, places like Mackay are doing the opposite. Well, the other thing is I think people in the past would be very wary of Mackay because the last boom, it was very, very driven by mining. But of course, this time around, you've got a local economy that's gathering pace on a, on a range of industries, not just coal mining. You've got construction, you've got logistics, Agribusiness and tourism are all making an impact yeah. and providing employment. And and a game changer for Mackay is that um, they competed with an awful lot of other places around Australia to get the the Qantas um, Pilot Training Academy, and Mackay um, um, won that competition. But they they got it, so that's going to be set up um, sometime soon. I'm not totally sure off the top of my head when, but that's going to create thousands of jobs in Mackay, just getting that, that one thing to decide to come and set up 
its um, national base in Mackay. Absolutely. I think another beautiful thing in terms of your win, 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 or what I call the holy grail of property investing, is it's very affordable. You've got what North Mackay median house prices, two fifty-five thousand. Serena, two eighty-five thousand. South Mackay, three hundred thousand. And uh, I think it was it was it Core Logic Terry that uh, suggested Mackay was one of the best performing house markets nationally. Well, that's right. Um, it keeps um, popping up in, in surveys and uh, national uh, research reports as being a performer. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, we're always looking to the future. We're not so interested in the past or the present, but Mackay is, is pumping right now. But I think it's got a big future because it's got that diverse economy. It's got the Qantas um, Pilot Training Academy. It's got those links to the resources sector, which I think is going to be one of the boom industries of Australia as we exit the, the lockdown phase, and um, I think it'll be a good place to own real estate. Yep. So let's head back down to Victoria and let's talk about the Latrobe Valley because every, a lot of people thought when Hazelwood started to become decommissioned and these uh, coal-fired power stations were uh, no longer going to be around that uh, Latrobe Valley was going to go off into the ether, but uh, not that at all. No, well, one of the things that happened, and, and you know, quite often when, when something like you know the coal-fired power station closes down and media starts saying, it's, you know, it's the death of this location. We've seen those sorts of stories written about Geelong and about Newcastle and about Wollongong. But um, what often happens is that uh, government and business proactively um, take steps to make sure, you know, um, unemployment doesn't rise and new things are created. Now, the Latrobe Valley region of Victoria has been a particular focus for the federal government uh, state government for the local council, and we've actually seen unemployment fall rather than rise, even though they had one of those big employers, the coal-fired power station, closed down. So that when you, when you look at, um, just looking at our report on the Latrobe Valley, the list of projects that, that are happening, like uh, an upgrade to the rail line, um, the hospital upgrade, $220 million project that's, that's underway, uh, a w- major wind farm, um, there's, there's a whole range of um, infrastructure projects that have been targeted and some very, very big ones coming up. Um, the undersea power cable, $3 billion, the star of the sea project off the coast um, of that region, $8 billion if that happens. But um, just looking at the things that are underway, it's uh, very substantial and that's one of the reasons why that uh, that local economy is still pumping very nicely despite the fact that a major employer closed down. Um, well, in fact, Terry, sorry to jump in, but I, since the closure of the Hazelwood power station, you're absolutely right. We saw the Victorian government do it very well in Geelong. Uh, is that over a thousand new jobs have been created since the announcement of the closure of the Hazelwood power station, and that's focusing on areas such as aged care, health services, call centre services, and food production. So I think it's just a, a big tick to the Victorian government in really being aware that the not only the economic impact that that closure was potentially going to have, but also the social impact. So they did very very well. In in, in terms of affordability, this is uh, you touched on it again earlier today. Uh, in our chat, Terry, what have you got? Churchill, uh, medium price, one hundred and ninety thousand. Moey, two hundred thousand. Uh, Morwell, one seventy-five thousand. And Taralgon, which I've just got a bit of a feel that might be your uh, your pick, actually. Uh, medium price of three hundred and fifteen thousand. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a little bit slanted towards it because it's the biggest 
um, biggest town. It's the capital of the region. It's got some substantial employers like um, ASIC. has got a, a major presence there, major employment presence there, National Data Processing Centre, um, headquartered nationally in Terrellbin, and employs uh, three or 400 people. Um, so that's... Uh, um, one of many reasons why I like to run. It's a little bit more expensive than the other places. But always keep in mind when we're quoting medium prices, actually, if the medium price is 300000 it means that half of all sales are less than that. And so you, you can still be buying them with 200000 in Trialgan quite yep. quite readily. Um, and uh, But if you if you're, you know your budget doesn't extend so far, you can buy a place like Morewell, 175000 median, and typical yield seven percent, um, and it's a it's a popular market. Um, well over three hundred sales in the last twelve months in in Morwell. And um, well, uh, well, just just finishing off your point around Terralgan. I mean, you had over five hundred house sales in the past year. Yes, at a medium price of three hundred and fifteen thousand, but it's still got a yield of over five percent. Uh, and of course, as you said, they've, they've been building a lot. They've got the hospital upgrade, uh, which is the Latrobe Regional Hospital. That's actually now it's a there's two there's phase two as well. Uh, that's three hundred million dollar upgrade. I'm going to now take you back up to Queensland, Terry. Yeah. And I'm going to take you to Rocky. Okay. Well, um, I'm happy to go to Rocky. Um, and I did, I did mention earlier, um, and when I was talking about Mackay, that Rockhampton is another one of those places that's getting uplift because it's um, proximate to those central Queensland mining areas and so people um, who are getting work there um, but wanting to live in a more substantial centre with a greater range of services and a better lifestyle, uh, Rockhampton is one of those places and so um, it's getting a lot of rental demand, rents are increasing. Um, again, it's got diversity. It's got very big links to the agricultural sector. It's, it's often marketed as the, the beef capital of Australia. So there's a lot of um, economic activity surrounding that factor. It's also you know, a regional centre in its own right with the, you know, government offices, etc. It has a certain uh, level of tourism. And um, so it's got diversity in its economy. Obviously, tourism is not pumping at the moment, but in normal times it is. And very affordable, even more so, I think, than um, than Mackay in terms of uh, typical pricing, which I'm sure. Yeah, well, sorry, Jerry, go on. I'm sure you've got it right there in front of you right now, Phil. Yes, I just might have that in front of me, Terry. Uh, but on the back of what you were talking about with uh, the resources sector as well, Adani, well, it's moved into its new business centre and it's issued some $500 million worth of contracts to local operators. But I'm going to give a plug again to Simon Presley head of research at Propertyology, because he actually said that Rocky has a unique combination of a number of... Uh, uh, it has healthy number of tenants, it's got first-home buyers and investors, and, in fact, it ranked number one on af housing affordability and rental yields when it, uh, up against 11 other Queensland regions on the following criteria of affordability, growth, yields and economy. And, in fact, properties in Rocky, in most suburbs... Uh, they've got median house prices, and as you said, 50% are above or below, uh, before you were saying. 50% then, well, you've got your median house prices of $350,000, according to CoreLogic. So, again, very affordable. Yeah, but, but some suburbs of Rockhampton are well below that. Many of them are in the 200000 and there's a couple where the median house price is below 200000 The suburb, rather oddly named Berserker, I think it's Berserker, um, <laughs> <laughs> where the medium price is um, 
180,000 and typical rental yield 7.5%. Um, and the other factor about uh, Rockhampton, which we've alluded to with Mackay, is that vacancy rates very, very low. Um, the four main postcodes that cover the regional city of Rockhampton, they're all below 1.5%. Yeah. So we're all set up to absorb any impact from um, COVID-19 in terms of um, vacancies. And as I said, um, rental demand's rising and rents are rising as a, an impact from their links to the resources sector. Well, I thought an interesting point, and I was quite surprised, I will say, to read this, is that demographer Bernard Salt, and you're very familiar with Bernard Salt, says that the beef capital is set to become one of the top 20 biggest, I'll repeat, biggest cities in Australia by 2050. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and um, hell, I've been following uh, Bernard Salt uh, for, you know, for decades, really. He's uh, recognised um, nationwide as, uh, as one of the greatest uh, demographers and uh, a very colourful speaker and writer on those subjects. He's found a way to make those boring subjects really interesting and colourful, but he does know his stuff. And, um, you know, when he makes those sorts, of, he doesn't make those sorts of comments about a location lightly. It's based on research and, uh, and the projections that uh, his business does for the future of different locations. Absolutely. And, Terry, I'm going to finish with our fifth uh, town, and that's going to be Parks, or famously known as uh, uh, the place for the dish. The yeah. movie of the same name. Well, yeah, and um, again, I mean, who, who amongst the investors of Australia would consider parks? Um, but um, there's a number of reasons why. But we always like to throw in perhaps what you might call a roughie, one that people might not consider but really has credentials. And again, very affordable, median price sort of mid 200,000s. And it's essentially an agricultural community, but it's very, very strategically located. And so for that reason, because of its geographical location, you know, on, on rail and road, various highways, it's become a, a, a major freight hub and some of the big freight companies of Australia have major presence there. Well, but, have you got Pacific National, Linfox and SCT, Logistics, they've all opened up there. Yeah, and you've, so you've got that, you've got agriculture and, of course, you've got the, the, the big satellite that um, featured in the movie The Dish, the part it played in the moon landing way back when. And, uh, but, but there's a big game changer coming up and, and it's very significant for parks and that is the Inland Rail Link. Now, this is one of the current federal government's pet projects. It's, it's reality. It's not one of those things that's being talked about and used as, a, as an excuse for a press conference. It's actually underway. And so it's going to be linking um, Melbourne uh, to Brisbane via inland um, regional areas of Australia, New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria. And Parks is very much one of the hubs for that. In fact, the, the official launch of the Inland Rail project last year with uh, some of the leading politicians in the country was actually staged at Parks for that reason. So it's going to get a huge boost from that. So, um, you know, you're perhaps always taking a punt when you invest in places like that. But, um, you know, at, for not a very big sum of money, if you, you bought a, a very affordable... Um, house and, and parks on the basis that, that that market's going to get a big uplift, building on everything that's already got the impact of the inland rail link as it progresses. 
Well, it's a $10 billion project. And in fact, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister and Minister for Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Development, do you like that one? That's a heck of a title, Michael McCormack. But he believes that it's actually creating local business confidence. And I think that would be a fair assessment. But he suggested that 370 local jobs had already been created. And another thing with parks, it's going to be a SAP. Now, what is a SAP? Well, it's the state's first special activation precinct and as ES and an inland port. So the SAP will deliver infrastructure projects which are going to attract and grow local businesses uh, and certainly provide more employment opportunities. Just in closing on parks, though, Terry, and another very, very positive thing again, and reminding us of, uh, from a previous episode that the national vacancy rate sits at 2.6% after a flood of uh, Airbnb properties came back into the market. These guys in parks sits at a very healthy 1.8% with average yields at around 6%. So, yeah. uh, and, and we have noticed also in, in the last 12 or 18 months there's been a steady uplift in the number of sales in parks. So I think investors are starting to... well. Jobs have been created, so people are coming to live there. Um, part of that's to do with the inland rail, but um, investors also are starting to become aware that there's a there's an opportunity in a place like Parks to buy affordably, get good rental yields and get some growth as that project adds to what's already there. Well, the New South Wales State Government is telling us that the region's population is expected to grow by a further 8% to 309,000 people by 2036, requiring an additional 15,900 homes. So that's going to create a lot of jobs. I think the... It augurs very, very well for the regions, Terry, and it makes a lot of sense then why regional property investing makes sense. And, Terry, I'm going to say thank you, as always, for your time. It's been most enjoyable, and I'm sure our listeners have got a lot of ideas, not only around the philosophy and why it makes sense to invest regionally, but they've got some, now some clues on some of the areas and, and, and some real you know, meat and potatoes stuff. And that uh, on that note, Terry... We are living in a corona world and next week our topic is investing in a corona world. So there you go, folks. This is Terry Ryder. So thanks again, Terry, from hotspotting.com.au and I'm Phil Robertson of Philip Robertson Property saying have a fantastic day, folks, and we look forward to being with you next week. Bye for now. Bye.